The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be a good girl. You always have to be concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Okay. No, now you sing the chorus. Um, oh, uh, let me think. What key were you in? Let it go. Oh, what key was let I in? Let it go. <laughs> no, no, no. With the wind and sky. Let it go. Let it go. I don't care what, what they're going to say. The storm, storm rage on. on. The cold Will never, never bothered, bothered me anyway. Taylor, you know why I'm singing that one? Yeah, because it's freezing cold. There's We're in so the middle. We're in, have you watched Frozen recently? You know, I haven't. We watched Frozen 2 this morning. Frozen 2, very good. Mm, very was... good. Not all sequels are created equal. And Frozen 2 oh, yeah. is very it's good. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a good one. That's an interesting question. What do you think the best sequel ever was? I got one that comes to mind right away. What? Um, well, two. This is more of a critic's opinion than my opinion. Okay. The Empire Strikes Back. A lot of people say is the best yeah. Star Wars movie. Uh-huh. The other big one, I'm not sure about this. I think people really like Godfather 2. Yeah. They don't like 3, right? Yeah, right. I think it's 3 they don't like. Yeah. Those are two good sequels. Um, yeah. Frozen 2. Frozen very 2. good. I'm trying to think of other like childhood favorites. Part 2 is just as good. Uh-huh. And I can't really. People, some people really love Toy Story 2. Oh. Of the Toy Stories. I think the Toy Story sequels are very good. Very, very good. 3 is my favorite. 1 is my second favorite. Then three, maybe 2. 3 is not college. Or three is college? Three is college. And then four is his daughter or whatever or something? Four is Sporky. Sporky? Is that the guy's name? I didn't watch it very closely. I just know that it was sort of a gut-wrenching ending. Sure. I don't want to spoiler it for anybody. No, of course not. But um, anyways, Frozen 2 is good. I mean, all the Harry Potter sequels are very good. Oh my gosh, that's a great point. (laughs) Conversation over. Hey, it is cold outside. Uh-huh. Well, that's where you sit. Anything for the Selenas. Yeah. That sign was getting a lot of uh, love on Sunday. Um, yes, for the listener, we are recording in my home today. Josh walked here um, because the cold really doesn't bother him anyway. I Here's the thing. So I was walking down 26th, and I was walking, but this isn't 26th. Somebody has a metal roof that's red, mm-hmm. and the icicles and the roof itself were dripping because it was melting, and it was 18 yes. degrees out. The sun, course, though, in Texas. Right. That's my point. There's, the sun in Texas is its own force. There's the weather, and then there's the sun in Texas that does its own thing. Could yeah. care less what the weather's doing. Yeah, things are melting. Yeah. Um. But it is still very cold. It but is. yes, also for the listener, I have a sign in my house that says anything for Selena's. And I also have one that says bitty bitty bum bum. Bitty bitty bum bum. Selena is my hero. Well, I like that. We've talked about that. Yeah. Hey, have you watched the show? It came on December 4th. I know. I have not watched it. I have heard mixed reviews, and so I'm... Mm, that's risky, then. I know. I'm nervous, but... Well, there's that. Yes, there is that. Um, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something, and I want to get your... You know how you asked me an experiential question? Uh-huh. Okay, so there's this thing, and it's a psychological term that Dr. Joseph Lehman could tell us if we had him on again. Sure, yeah. I don't know what it's called, but it's you'll know it. It's like once you have a word in your head or an idea, like you see the thing, mm-hmm. so it feels serendipitous. Okay. Okay. Um, so I have some examples I've been jotting down this week. Okay. I um I've decided that when it warms up, I'm gonna take Roy and Wendell 
um, across the lake and we're going to camp just right there by Waco on the lake. Yeah. And they can fish for free. So I'm going to get a fishing license and we're going to just, so I was in my, my garage uh-huh. fixing up my poles, which have been collecting dust, getting uh-huh. them ready. Uh-huh. And I go inside and I go to my mailbox and I get a flyer from the Bass Pro Shop. Okay. A, I didn't know they had my address. B, I haven't gotten a piece of mail from them in, I feel like forever. Of course, but the thing would say, no, you do all the time. You just don't notice. It doesn't register. Sure. Okay, so there's one. Here's another one. Um, for Christmas, I got a very, what I think is sleek and cool popcorn air popper from Lindsay. Because we have popcorn a lot of nights of the week. I love popcorn. Um, Incidentally, since Christmas, I have started purchasing cheap Hallmark ornaments off the internet. Uh And through that process have been directed to the app Mercari. Uh Okay. Right. Where the people resell things. It's basically an online cross sale. I have no idea how long this app's been around, any of that stuff. This is actually going to be a a double serendipity. Okay. This I'm sure of because I listen to the show very consistently. Okay. Like two weeks after I got on that app and started and bought off of it, Mercari was advertised on Conan O'Brien for the commercial. And uh-huh. it was never before because I listened to every episode. Right. That was weird. Then they had a Super Bowl ad. Uh-huh. So that one I'll grant could be the the sociological the principle at play. But that's weird, the Conan O'Brien thing. Uh-huh. So I have this thing that I believe that the universe is sending me things. Okay. Very strongly. Why? But here's here's this one is like bulletproof. Okay. So um, there's a professor from my college uh-huh. who was adjunct. Uh-huh. Um, she, her, her name was Holly. Uh-huh. And probably in one of the hardest days of my life, I was walking out of her class and I said, Holly, can you pray for me? I wasn't asking it right there, but just, okay. Yeah. Christian University. Right. She said, why don't you come back to my office? I sat and talked to her for three hours in one of the, the deepest, most beautiful conversations. Okay. Oh, um, and, and she really pulled me out of the mire, to quote Psalm 40. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't suicidal that day, but I was at, in a lowest low. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I thought about that years later, about how much that conversation meant to me. Yeah. And I have tried and tried to find her on the internet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I went back to my college. I went to the, the theater department where she was, and I said, hey, do you remember I found the chair? This is like five years ago. Have you heard from her? Do you? He's like, I have no idea. Okay. Okay. So one day, like within the last year, I did a different search on my computer and I found her. Okay. And it said she was working as a psychologist for this firm in California. Oh. Sent her a message. Uh-huh. Get an email back the next day. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, it was like a pretty raw email. Like, hey, I basically said, like, you saved my life. Yeah. Um, you and, really laid it out there. Yeah. And I just, you know, because you grow in gratitude for these things, these yeah, moments when these you moments, see them. Yeah. And she said, this is insane. I haven't worked for this place for three years. I haven't checked this email in however long. Last night on a whim, I went and checked it, and I got your email that night. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that how, one. How about the serendipities? Yeah, that one feels serendipitous. Yeah. Do you know what? Um, <laughs> This feels like a lot for me to say on the podcast for the church we work at. Okay. But um, oh, I think this stuff's good for our people. Okay. I am finding myself not like a, you know, I, it's one of those things where it's like, as I grow in my life and understand more about who God is and what the universe is, I think I'm very compelled by the idea of God as creator. Mm -hmm. And so like, if we believe that God created everything, Mm -hmm. then it's like the idea of like, um, 
I don't know, like, um, kind of like vibes and like, I haven't looked into any like crystals or anything like that, sure. but it's like, if God created the world and all of the things in it point back to who God is, yeah, then like, and also like horoscopy things, which I know is just like, it's trendy right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, wouldn't the heavens tell us about I mean, it doesn't seem insane. I see what you're saying. That the heavens would tell us, like, about who we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? If God created them. Yeah. And so, so I think sort of, like, woo-woo, things like that, I'm sort of being like, oh, this actually makes sense in a way. And so then, like, also vibes, you know, just, like, sort of when you put things out into the universe, but also the ad things. So that one, that last one is very compelling. But the ad things is, like, I, I do feel like I've learned a lot about how they really just read people's they know how to read people you know no no i would that if if Macari showed up on my twitter feed or my facebook i wouldn't think twice of it but conan o'brien like that's a paid spot like <laughs> yeah. a week later well, it's all paid on facebook too yeah but they have algorithms like where they right. where they put those paid advertisements so Macari might buy 400,000 slots on facebook mm-hmm. and it doesn't just go willy-nilly to any 400,000 users right it, there's an algorithm that tells them these are the best places to put it yeah. Um, but um, I, to your point, I have several thoughts. None of them meant to rebuke or affirm. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Somebody just texted me this week about like they think they're getting signs from their grandmother, uh-huh. but knows the Bible warns against like calling up spiritual mediums. Sure. So, you know, I just try and gave all the data I could. And then my, my answer was, you know what? I didn't say this, but God used Balaam's ass. God can speak through whatever God wants to yeah, speak through. Exactly. So you know, I think there are, there's better wisdom in reaching out through certain things than others. Yeah. But that being said, I think God can speak through anything. Yeah. And my ultimate answer to her was like, "What kind of fruit is this messaging producing?" Easy litmus test. Right. Very easy. So. And then also like, uh, <laughs> you know, I think of the centaurs in harry potter uh-huh. and how it's like they're when they were like reading the future like do you remember in the yeah what is it book five or six? yes it's five when yeah when uh what's her name's there the horrible lady yeah because they're talking about going to read the prophecy yes well and also but so they um she tries to kick trelawney out you know and yeah. dumbledore brings in the centaur yeah and i don't know if that's how you say it and he is kind of like reading like, prophesying, reading the future is slow work. Like, it might take 10 years for us to sort of, like, as we look for something. Like, we often look at things and we're like, that w- is wrong. Or yeah. we didn't see anything. And it's like, that's fine. That just is how it is today. And so I think a lot about stuff like that. Anything that's, like, you're using to, like, for discernment or whatever a lot of it is like take it with a grain of salt and you just have to make the best choice you can make or whatever. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that never works with divination. Okay. Because I know. Mm-hmm. I have tried everything. You've tried? Okay. You cannot get the winning lottery numbers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That one seems, yeah, pretty spot on. It's like, have you ever seen Devs, the show? I haven't. I think the most interesting television show that was out in 2020. I've um, heard really good things about it. I just loved it. it. Mm-hmm. So essentially what this is is they can exhaust... Um, like I don't know how scientific this is, but like let's say we could predict the every molecule movement in the universe, right, through an algorithm, mm-hmm. and then we had a computer that could map that. We could conceivably then map out with perfection the past and the future because it's all cause and effect. Okay, sure, right. 
I'm like, if I had that, In the theory. very next thing I would do is get the lottery numbers. <laughs> the very next thing? Oh, yeah. But then it's so wacky because it's like, well, but if you use that machine to find the lottery numbers in the future, that then becomes part of the future, which is dependent on the existence of the machine in the first place. That's always the problem with the time, time travel stuff. It's like nobody ever is like, oh, I'm just going to use this time device to um, free Buckbeak and, and free Sirius, you know? Um, that's not how it works. People are like, go get me the lottery tickets. Right. Yeah. It's like Biff from Back to the Future. Yeah. That's what I would do. I would try not to be a jerk. Well, that's nice. We just watched 13 Going on 30 last night with the kids, the Valentine's you movie. Did? And Roy pointed out it's basically um, a Christmas carol. It's like, go see what your life could be and then go back. And rectify it. And I thought that was a very good observation. Yeah. No, you know, ghosts of Christmas, whatever. Yeah. But it is very much like a Christmas carol. Oh, you're thinking of Ghost of Girlfriend's Past? No. Because Jennifer Garner's in that, too. Oh, no, a Christmas carol doesn't have... It's not... It's... It's, um, what's his name? Jim Carrey? No. Is a Christmas carol Jim Carrey? Well, there's the cartoon one that he did that was animated that Robert Zemeckis did, like Tom Hanks did Polar Express. No, what am I thinking You're of? thinking of Scrooged? Yeah. With Bill Murray? No. <laughs> That's also a spoof on... I'm so confused right now at what you're trying to get at. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah, I'm thinking of, like, Ebenezer Scrooge. Okay, yeah. What is that? Yeah, that's Christmas Carol. Yeah, but there's the ghost of Christmas Future, the ghost of Christmas, Christmas Past. Christmas Past and the ghost of Christmas Present? Yes, but you don't. Um, <laughs> but those you don't have the ghost, the like Christmas, like. Oh, the, you're saying in the analogy to thirteen, she just goes to the future and sees what could be, and, and then goes it. back. And yeah. then what's the other Christmas movie? A Christmas movie. God bless us, everyone. That's Mickey's Christmas Carol. Those are all based on the same thing. That's a line from the book, literally. God <gasps> no, bless us. No, the guy home. in the thirties and his. Oh, that one. I, home alone and. He's in Home Alone. <laughs> George Bailey, isn't that? Oh, name? Taylor, are you taking drugs today? <laughs> I don't You've like had non sequiturs like five different Christmas movies. <laughs> George Bailey is from It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. What does that have to do with anything? Oh, that okay. is that too. You're right. Yeah, he goes into the past. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He goes into the past. You know, right? I did also. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm the one taking drugs. I think you're. The walk affected you. Um. I have noticed there's a nod to Christmas movies in Christmas movies. So um, the discovery for me was that is essentially a Christmas Carol riff to go see your life. But then the other one is, you know that movie like when he has the famous scene where he, the the knob on the stairs and he picks up and he kisses and he puts it back in at the end because it's loose on the banister going up the stairs. Uh And then in um, Christmas Vacation, Clark takes off the chainsaw and cuts that off. I think that's a nod. Okay. That's my theory. I see. I'm not as Christmas movie versed. I, you, you know what I should do? I should come up with some elaborate conspiracy theory about Christmas movies and start YouTubing that, and I could get famous. And how they're all in the same universe or something? Yeah, because people um, love that crap, mm-hmm. and they will believe anything. Anyways, well, thanks for listening to my um, serendipity stuff. Yeah, hey, I, also, that's really cool I about was, the professor. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. It made me feel so much better I sent it. Because yeah. like, oh, this felt divine almost. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. This is different. Um, how come on memes it says no one, colon, and then it's blank, and then it's usually me, and then a thing? 
Does the no one mean to imply no one asked? Yes. But here's me saying this. Uh-huh. Okay. I think I had that one. Which I think is also sort of, um, there's a particular trope of like influencers to be like, Everyone, you guys sent me a million DMs asking for like my skin care, my skincare oh, okay. routine. Okay. Okay. And then it's really like, no, nobody asked for that. Okay. You know. So it's a, it's a subtle jab at everyone. Yeah, a little bit. Well, I think it's a self jab. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you're like, nobody is asking for this, but here's my opinion. Yeah. Which is how I feel every time I put something on the internet. Nobody's asking for this, but here's my opinion. Hmm. Good to know. Taylor, I have one more thing. Okay. And then we have reviews, unless you have some things. Um, no. And then we have a quiz. Is this about the grocery store, though? Yes. Okay, great. So, I have learned to measure my words about Texans. A, because you get spicy when I say this. Me? Yeah. B, because I am a Texan. I've been here 16 years. Yeah. And C, like with regard to the weather, my thing's not about the weather at all because it is hard. People are losing power. It's hard to drive on if you don't know. Yeah. It's hard to deal with if you don't have the proper clothes, right. et cetera, et cetera. So all that. I do have one thing that Texans, myself included, because I'm a Texan, but right. my people, okay? Okay, our people. Just have pissed me off with. Okay. There's a damn snowflake in the county, and they go buy out the whole meat section at HEB. Sure. What is the deal? Okay, for the record, I do think that happens a lot. Like, it doesn't just happen this time. Like, I thought... COVID was insane, but well, it was I, a global pandemic. I get it. Well, I do think that we're, it's a little people are in a fight or flight. Do you know what I mean? So like the snow on top of COVID, I think is what sent everybody back to the store like a crazy person. I mean, okay, you have to shop for a week, but presumably we're all always shopping for a week. Unless people don't do that. We don't go to no, the store every we day. Really we shop, shop for, for a week. week. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're not like, I don't have like a bodega downstairs that I can just like grab things from or whatever. Like we shop for the whole week. Right. And so I like, it's not that something changed. But if you are, um, like if you have a big family, you have multiple kids and they eat lunch at the school every day. Yeah. I guess that's our situation. That's a different. I guess too, like you could also conceivably argue that. We all do shop every week, but we're all forced to shop on Saturday and Sunday because we all plan on not being able to shop Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Exactly. That's part of it, too. And then, so I have a follow-up question, though. So is this, so (laughs) when it snows, and I guess this would make sense. When it snows, like a big snow, a big storm, a blizzard is coming or whatever Mm -hmm. in Wisconsin, people don't go to the grocery store to get their stuff? That's a good question. I I don't feel like I mean you got to figure the snow we got here mm-hmm. happens 15 20 times, maybe 30 to 40 some winters. Right. Where you get 16 inches. Now granted, we have the infrastructure. Right. They that have we the infrastructure. Right. right, like salt sand trucks. I mean, they're out as it's happening. Uh-huh. Right? Um so I guess that's the difference. Is people don't assume I won't be able to be out for several days. 4 days now. I mean, it, it's negative 33 at my sister's this morning, uh-huh. and she went grocery shopping. And the roads are fine, mostly yeah. fine, and, yeah. you know, you can just live life. Yeah. Okay. And then there's snow tires, and right. I think that the other big thing, too, the businesses themselves have the infrastructure and behaviors built in to handle it. So everybody's got salt for their sidewalks, and everybody's got uh-huh. a heating system that anticipates that there's going to be days that it's, you know. Yeah. So... Yeah. 
I just was annoyed. That makes sense. That's fine. I'm like, we don't all need to be here shopping, for, and you don't all need to get more than you need. Just take what you need. I'm here for hot dogs and crab legs. It is weird. What? <laughs> it is weird when people do that. I mean, I felt that way in March, though, also. When people were like, fine. March, like- I was a little more empathetic with because it's like... The, the thing felt so unpredictable. Who knew what was going to happen to supply chains? Sure, but at some point people are buying like 72 rolls of toilet paper. Oh, yeah. And but, it's like if you well, do the math on that, that's way, like several Of all months. the things I'm like, I'm not going to run out of, toilet paper is important to me, but it's not that important to me. Well, it's like, and also it just felt to me like there are other things. Do you know what I mean? Like we got some boxes of tissue. We got some toilet paper. Like I don't love the idea of that, but it's like it's toilet paper is such a specific Thing. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's just so strange. Well, and yeah, if you think about, again, supply chains, that's not the sort of thing that's in threat of A, expiring soon, or B, is going to be, like, paper supplies aren't going to go away because of the pandemic. Like, right. trees aren't going to stop growing. <laughs> I wish they'd grow faster. We do Grove. Do you guys do Grove? Uh, yes. Grove E-Pantry? Uh-huh. Well, no. It's like the cleaning supplies? Yeah, are... the cleaning supply things. But we also get our toilet paper via Grove. Oh. And... We get something called Who Gives a Crap. We, <laughs> toilet paper? Mm-hmm. From where? I don't know. It's like an environmental thing, Lindsay found zero waste. Yeah. That's how the Grove stuff is like, a lot of it's made from bamboo or something like that. Well, and no plastic, which I really appreciate. The Grove stuff? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I do that's very um, passive aggressive? What? When I go to the grocery store. What do you do? Um, I used to bag groceries for a job. Uh-huh. And so, like, sometimes there at H-E-B, there's a person to help you bag your groceries. Sometimes there's not. I shimmy to get position, and then I very dramatically take out the paper bags and unfold, like, five of them very loudly so we can see I'm using them because I'm very, very, very anti the plastic bags. The plastic bags? Very anti the plastic bags. That makes sense. I don't do that. We do have uh, the reusable bags. That's even better. Um, I like the paper bags because I grew up in a town with um, a couple of mills. Oh. And so I felt like I was keeping them in business, even though none of them made that kind of paper. I just remember um, wrapping my books in the paper bags when I was in elementary school. Did y'all do that? Yeah. Yeah. That was very cool. But now how so would somebody do that? What do they do now? And you got got to like decorate it however you wanted. They probably buy them now. Yeah, there probably are book covers you can buy. (laughs) That are like 50 cents off Amazon. Used to take us about... Four and a half hours to get all those hardcover books covered. Yeah. I remember in elementary school, yeah, we would like take a half day of it and like wrap the books or whatever. Um, I also, I ran into at the store several people who, this was the first time I've seen this in Waco. Okay. Um, people who were just straight up unmasked. They did not have masks Oh, on. yeah. That happened to me the other day in H-E-B, and this lady interacted with me, and I was, like, friendly and smiling, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, she smiled. Wait, I saw her face. Wait, why don't you have a mask on? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she had been vaccinated. Okay. Okay. That's a good thing to I don't, think But they're about. still saying wear a mask if you're vaccinated. That's I don't true. know. That's true. But I, um, that's a good thing to think about. I, at the grocery store, there were so many people doing so many crazy things, and then there were the, there were these people walking around without masks on, and we kept running into them, and they kept being close to us, because there were so many people you couldn't really mm-hmm. social distance, and eventually what happened, <laughs> this is, you know, maybe an area of growth for me, okay. was every time I saw them coming, I would be like, ah, because I was so frustrated <laughs> at them. I was about to ask if either of you got to your eight space. I, yeah, was mad at them for walking around without masks on and with all those people. Here's the thing. Even if I knew 1,000% I couldn't transmit the disease, 
I just wouldn't want to deal with that kind of stuff. With me groaning at you audibly? Yeah, somebody like that in the store. So I would uh-huh. wear one to for morale and for all those other reasons and for what ultimately selfishness of not wanting to have to confront people's emotional. Is that selfishness, though? I don't think so. Well, I think it's smart, but that's my always my op is how can I minimize my undesirable interactions with people? Yeah. So, well, Taylor, we have a couple of reviews we need to talk about. Yes. I'm very excited. This is from Ben Rayleigh. Ben, thanks so much for being a fan and ever occasionally texting us yeah, comments ben. and good questions. Ben says, they had me at beep. <laughs> great hosts who I can personally pester with my every thought on the show. Keep it going forever. Five stars from Ben Rayleigh. Ben, we love you. We do. Keep we have going an, forever. Wow. We're also up to 33 ratings now. Wow. Here's another one. Champions for the Lord of the, and then it's dot, dot, dot. I wonder if I could see the full thing on, oh, and, okay. or if she quit there. I don't know. This is from Val Fisk. One of our friends. A former pastoral associate. Yes, yeah. Who's in Tennessee. Is she in Tennessee or she, No, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, she's in Charlottesville, Nick and Liz. Yeah. Uh, says, Pete Enns might have the, or claim to have the only God-ordained podcast on the internet, but he has clearly never listened to Josh and Taylor discussing their own text of terror. For those who are part of the church community in which Josh... Oh, we have to have the thing to read the whole thing. What thing? I think we have to have, um, we must have to have up the thing, like the app. I have the app. Well, it's longer. Maybe she just quit there. Well, that's fine. Because you know what? The data registered is another positive review. So we'll take it. Thanks so much, Valfisk. <laughs> and if we didn't have all of that and we can retrieve it later when the internet's working, we will do that. We will. Thanks, everybody, for rating review. Remember, if you haven't, you can do it for a chance to win the lottery ticket, which might win you a lot of money. So that's just our advice. Oh, yeah. Taylor, you're scrutinizing. Okay, Taylor. We have to do our quiz before we do our commercial. Okay. So it's my turn to quiz you. Yes. And I'm going to do this a little different. It's not a proper quiz. But I was thinking the other day about an event which I'm going to give away because it's going to be the most obvious. Okay. Which was how there have been, well, let me back up. When I was a senior, I had a capstone marketing class in which the professor said there have been four things that have happened in your lifetime that are going to shape the way you do your job. Okay. I've shared this in a sermon. I don't remember. The first was yeah. uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 89, which is kind of a symbol of the end of the Cold War. Right. So there's that. Then there was 9-11 because yep. was, I was a senior in 2004, and that had already taken shape. Um, one was postmodernism. Sure. And the other was internet. And those were all dead on. Yeah. Um, that turned out to be true. So that got me thinking about like these events that shape us. So I Googled the biggest event that happened every year. It starts in 1920. We're not going to do that. Okay. Some of these I think you can get with no clues. Some of them um, I think are going to take a lot of clues. Okay? I think, yeah. Some so of like 2001 I will already call as 9-11. <laughs> yeah. That one is true. Okay, so um, this is also interesting because I was thinking – this is sort of American-centric because I don't think some of the things it claimed were the biggest events that year. but In the world. But some of them are global events. The first one I'm going to start in 1990 was a global event. I'll be surprised if you got this. I thought it was the hardest on the list. I didn't 1990? think. 1990? Yeah. How old were you then? Um, I turned three in 1990. Okay. The answer is that democracy, this is according to USA Today, came to this European country. So this was on that tail end of the Berlin Wall. Makes sense. Germany? Well, okay, East Germany, right, is what we'd be thinking of. And who's their neighbor? To the east? Yes. I think that's right, my geography. I don't know. Poland. Poland? Poland gets democracy. I was going to say Poland. 1990. Okay, 1991, you can get this. Okay. 
it was a really big event that happened and Dana Carvey had a heyday on um Saturday Night Live. How old were you, ninety one? Four. Oh. Oh. <laughs> You'll know this though. Um, ninety one. I remember thinking, Oh my gosh, this is happening. I don't think this has ever happened in my lifetime. Which really just meant I had been alive for Ten like years. This is one of those moments that I'll remember. Well, it didn't have the magnitude of nine eleven, and it turned out to be pretty quick. I was four. Was it the Oklahoma City bombing? Nope, but that is the winner in a different year. Okay. Um, it was George H. W. Bush went to where? Oh, I don't know. Russia or China or something? the Gulf War? Oh, the Gulf War. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah, I see. He went to where? I see. 92. Okay, so this is going to be like on the tail end of 89 when the Berlin Wall happened. Uh huh. This was like the official end of the Cold War? Yes. Okay. So it happened in Camp they David. Did an, they did an official end of that? Well, Boris Yeltsin came to Camp David and met H.W. Bush and they ended it. Which, when I watched that, um, um, that 2000 or the 90s thing, they did talk about. How like Bush first Bush doesn't have much of a legacy, but this was a pretty big deal. Like he officially ended the Cold War. Cold War, yeah. Okay, ninety three. This was retrospectively a big deal because of a vote that happened in Europe this last year. Oh. Somebody left the European. The European Union. Yeah, and that I say that because in nineteen ninety three, uh-huh. the European Union. Was formed? Was formed. That was the biggest event that year. Oh. Okay. I didn't realize. I thought it was formed 1994. Nobody, and I mean nobody, had an idea how big of a deal this was when it happened. But now, it is $186 billion a big deal. It was some company was founded? Amazon. Yep. Amazon started in 1994. I'm so smart. Okay, 1995. You said it before. The Oklahoma City bombing. Yep. Okay. 96. This is going to feature, I remember this all the time being talked about, it's a famous sheep. Oh, um, the dolly. Yes. Was so cloned or whatever. 1996, the dawn of cloning. Yeah. Okay, 97. This uh-huh. one is... Um, Princess Diana died. Well, that maybe should be. Was that 98 or 97? It was August of 97. Well, that should have been. That's certainly bigger than this. They have... Um, oh, I think... Um, think queen queen's gambit oh some chess yes person one machine tops game. chess champ in 1997 machine tops chess champ yeah so computers were developing at that point computers yeah. surpassed humans okay 98 another massive company i would say you use this company more frequently than amazon for sure founded I use this every company. day uh google yes Okay, 99. This one I don't think we get. Okay. Is there a clue to the um, So it has to do with a group of people who, for the first time ever, incited violence. And when I say group of people, it's misleading because it's a group of nations. A group of nations? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Tell me. 1990, NATO's first independent strike. Oh. Yugoslavia. Okay, here's one. I didn't know this. Okay. 2000, okay. I graduated high school. Guess okay. what opened up for the very first time? In the year 2000? Not a business, not something like that, not a church, anything like that. A place. Uh, a place? That is not on earth. 
Oh, something in space. <laughs> the space station? The space the station. International space station? In 2000. Okay. Okay. 2001. Yeah, 9-11. Yep. 2002 was a response to this. George W. Bush founded this department of the government. Homeland Security. Yep. 2003, this is also a result of that. Some people would say. Some people would say it was a big mistake. The Iran War? Iraq. Iraq. Yep. 2004, we're back to a world life-changing business is founded. There's a movie about it that we've seen and loved. Oh, Facebook. Yep, social networks. Facebook was 2004? Yeah, think about that. It's been around for... Well, I think about it um, because I started college in 2005, so... But we all got like our college emails. You know, mm-hmm. you get it like the spring before or whatever. Oh, and you, you used to need a college email to get on Facebook. Going. Yeah, and you had to. Oh, um, that's cool. Have a college email. Because so, it used to just be a college thing. Yeah. So my friend Amy, who's been my best friend my whole life, her older brother's like five years older than us. So he was like really cool always. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, he had it. And we went down to Austin to visit him at UT. Um, he was about to graduate and he, you know, he kind of was like, as soon as you get your emails, like sign up for Facebook, it's like only for college students. It's really cool. And then I think by 2006, it was already like you didn't need a college email to get on it anymore. Yeah. They quickly saw the market expansion opportunity yeah, there. Yeah, they definitely did. All right. Since you went to college in 2005, yeah. you may know this because like it's what we all. Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. We were all glued to the television. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 2006, I don't love this, but it's the unfortunate way the world works. Um, this is the last of the... No, because the last of the residue. Something big happened as a result of the 2003 invasion. 2006. I don't know. So we went to Iraq. Yeah. And then three years later... I don't remember. We executed Hussein. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Okay. I was thinking about Osama bin Laden. I know that comes All later. right. This is, I think, not the last, but the last of, like, the Titans business that stormed onto the scene. The last of the, like, Google. Well, I mean, so we did Amazon. We did Google. We did Facebook. Facebook. In 2007, this is the reason they are a big player. I don't know. There's an irony. Oh. Oh. In- <laughs> um, I... Apple released the first iPhone. iPhone came on the market. In 2007. Yeah, isn't that insane? We've only had these for 13 years. Can you imagine your life? I remember when it came out. I was a park ranger, and my friend Kim got one, Yeah. and I just thought it was so dumb. I remember my first friend that had one. His name was Price, and um, he was stupid rich. And, I mean, his parents were, his family was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I thought, I would never need that. What would I need that for? I never. I use my phone a lot, and I can't even imagine needing that. Right. And <laughs> then um, it was one of those things where, for a whole summer, we were both back in town. We hung out all the time with Kathleen and our friend Emily, and he, it was just like he. By the end of the summer, I was like, "Mom, could I have an iPhone?" Yeah. And I got it, and I was so nervous. And then I thought, if I hate it, I'll just the next phone I get, I'll get another one, a different one. But it's like now. It's like I have had an iPhone since 2008 or whatever. Well, I think if in the moment if Sony pitched like, we're going to give you an iPhone because you need a, you like, you don't think of needing your phone phone that, because you, like, you don't call people. Yeah. But if somebody said, hey, we are going to basically take everything your computer can do and much, much more and put it on this device, mm-hmm. then you would get it. You're like, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's true. All right. 2008. They could have picked a number of things to represent this, but. Was it the election of Barack Obama? 
Well, I'm actually surprised that is not the thing that is on here. I mean, technically, he wasn't inaugurated. He just was elected. That's, oh, that's true. He He's going to show up in... 2009? Yeah, okay. that's why. 2008. Hmm. Any clues? Yep, it's the first thing he had to deal with. Oh. I mean, the war, I guess. Uh, well, we've been in Afghanistan and Iraq for a long time. The first This thing. is like a domestic problem. Well, it was a global problem, but domestically, there's a movie about it. So, oh, um... The housing boom. Yeah, so they have the Dow plunges, but it was, yeah, the housing market crashed. Okay. 2009, Obama is elected. Okay, 2010. This is season two or season one of, (laughs) can't remember. It's the very first episode of a season of um, Newsroom. Oh, I never watched Newsroom. Okay. Except for that one scene that's so popular. Yeah, that's. Um. Okay. Um, This. Happened uh-huh. not far from us geographically oh. on our shores. Oh, 2010? Yep. On our shores? Yeah. Not far from us. Yeah, so Texas shores, Alabama shores. I don't remember. What happened? Catastrophic oil spill. Oh, yeah, there was a big oil spill. In was it event her now? What was the thing called? Event Horizon? Why do I have that in my head? I don't know. I can't think of that. Something Horizon. Yeah. Is that one in the Gulf? I bet it says if I would read this. Okay. 2011. Uh, what's his name? Yep. Uh, not Saddam Hussein. Yes. We already talked about that, but yes. it was Osama bin Laden. Was killed. All right. 2012. This is a cool one. I didn't know this was this recent. Okay. This is British John could help us on this one. Okay. So it's a physics thing. Oh my, okay. The I just thought it was going to be something British. The blank blank is probably discovered. <laughs> that is not the most physics thing you've ever read. The blank blank. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know the God particle. Oh, the God is particle. probably discovered. The Higgs boson, is that what it is? Yeah, the Higgs boson, so. the God particle and the I'm guessing it's that CERN hadron collider thing. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, tw- 13. This is also has a movie. Wait, that was 12? Yeah. The God Particle? Yeah, 13. I was already living in Waco. That happened while you're here. This happened. I got this mixed up with another person all the time. I'll just say this. I always got this person mixed up with Julian Assange. Assange. Oh. Who, isn't he WikiLeaks? Uh-huh. Okay, so this is a person like that. He, in 2013? He also let some secrets go. What is his name? Edward something? Yes. Oh. Edward Snowden. Snowden. Yep. There's a movie. Mm-hmm. All right. Which is not how I remember things. 2014. Okay. There's a very iconic picture that people made, I think, of banners on Facebook if they were religious. And it was of some priests standing in the middle of two crowds that represented a conflict. Because I remember this because I, I was in sabbatical and I was in London at a bar watching on TV when one of the first parts of this happened. You were on sabbatical in 2014? Yeah. And I saw Russia hmm. try to invade... Oh, um, the Ukraine? Yep. Oh my gosh, do you want to know what Josh... I had completely forgotten about that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. All right. Uh, this one we won't get either. 2015. Um, it was for um, space nerds. Well, that's when Trump announced his... 
Candidacy. Space nerds. Um, NASA flew by one of our nine planets. Mars. Further. Oh my gosh. Jupiter. Keep going. Saturn. Keep Neptune. Going. Keep going. Uranus. <laughs> Keep going. Pluto. Yes. Is Pluto a planet? Or Not anymore, but I just, on? I wanted to get us. Okay, 2016. Uh, Trump wins presidency. Yep. 2017. This one is recent. I don't know that I would have thought of this, but I guess this was the biggest story. In 2017? Yeah, August and September. So it was multiple things that happened over two months. And it was, oh, you know how I will know this? Uh-huh. Because one of the most devastating effects was in our backyard in Houston. Oh, um, there was a storm. Harvey, Irma, and Maria. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, all back to back. In 2017. Okay, 2018, I wouldn't have picked this either. Northern California. Wildfires? Yep. 2019, this was last year. It wasn't U.S. Oh. Wait. It wasn't, wasn't a, it? No. It, I think this was... No, that would be this year, 2020. 2020. Or this is in 2020. Um, this one, like, when you hear it, like, oh, yeah. But I think because it wasn't us, we didn't hear about it as much. Okay. Can, is there a clue? Yeah. Um, Asiatic region of the world. A very small island country. That, oh, was it like a tsunami or something? Nope. Um, there were protests. Oh, um... Is it Hong Kong? Yep, the Hong Kong okay. protests. And then 2020. The coronavirus? Yes. So 2021, presumably, something like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. But thanks for playing that. I love remembering. I love history. I hope that, that was, was fun for listeners. That was really fun. If they didn't love it, hopefully they listen on two and a half times speed till they get the answers. Yeah. But I thought you did pretty good. Thank you. I was also pleasantly surprised with myself. Sometimes I took a clue to get it, but you know. Yeah. Well, Taylor, we got to take a, a break and hear from our sponsors. Yes. Can I tell you Yes. where we both agree just is one of the places that has the best soups in Waco? Yes, please. Let's share. It is Nuke's Eatery. Yes. Out it's there so on good. Um, 2716 West Loop 340, Waco, Texas. Mm-hmm. My goodness. What do you get? I get the lobster and crab bisque. That's my favorite one. That's my favorite one. But I, there's, they have a crawfish one, too, that I really like that okay. has corn in it. Is it an etouffee? Or? I love a soup with corn in it. Nope. Just a okay. soup. Crawfish and... Something I can't remember what the other thing is, but it's very good. Yeah, peppers maybe. Um, I also like the Nukes Q sandwich mm-hmm. with the white barbecue sauce. It's very very good. I get the Italian there. Oh, it's, is it good? It's it's got sharp flavor. I'll say that I some like zest. That. It's zesty. I love an Italian sandwich with some zest. I know we're about soups, but you know what else I love there? What? I love the black and blue salad. Lindsay would always order nice. that. It's like the one place I can order a salad and feel like I ate a meal. There, yes, okay. Their salads are very filling. Yeah. Me and Kathleen are on a salad kick here. We, but you, here's the, here's the thing. And Nukes does this. You need a big bowl so you can mix it all around. Yeah, the bowl, or, yeah, they're like, um, they're like water rides at yeah. parts. It's like, whoosh, that big side, <laughs> you can kind of flow up and it's going to come back down. Yeah, and you need that though yeah. to mix everything so that it's good and filling. And I think you can make or break a salad with not just the dressing, but the amount of dressing. And they get the amount of dressing right. Yes, because it can be too little and it can, can be, be too, too much. much. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, it's uh, soup season. We made two soups on Saturday. We've been chowing them down all week. We're about to make some clam chowder. So, oh, clam chowder's good. But we think one of the best places you'll have soups in Waco's is at Nukes. Yes. 
You can check out their menu online. You can call them at 254-662-0361. Or you can go visit them when you're out yeah. there on Highway 6 shopping and they just stop in. They have curbside. They have curbside. So be safe, be smart, and thank you to Nukes for their sponsorship today. Yay, and we're back. Yeah. Taylor, what's the topic today? You brought this one up. I did, yeah. I, um... Well, I found a Twitter thread that I thought was very, very interesting that I thought it would be interesting for us to talk through Okay. because it was about pastors. Um, that's and us. Sort of like past, that's us. We're both pastors and sort of pastoral accountability and how that happens or doesn't happen in churches and what maybe some problems with um Well, I mean, it specifically says evangelicalism in America and pastors flaming out but um which i asked you to qualify that word for me when i read it what does flame out mean you gave a good example you named a person who it registered all of it um sure so i said someone who uh so flame out is maybe someone who you know you think of a shooting star you know sort of burns hot and heavy for a minute and then it flames out it's not there. okay let's nuance nuance this so now because you said mark driscoll i did say mark driscoll i didn't know if we were going to say his name um which i mean he's he's pretty public figure yeah. Here's the thing. Like, you could, in one sense, say, like, somebody burns out because they're tired of the ministry's hard, uh-huh. which is not a moral failure. No. But then there's also people who, like, get too big for their britches, treat people crappy, and get pushed out of ministry for that reason. Yes. So, which do you think it's describing? Or could it be both? I think it could be describing both. Okay. Because I do think that there is, um, there's nothing morally or ethically wrong with, like, burning out or taking, you know, having, having to step away from ministry because you really just gave too much of yourself. But I do think that is a problem, maybe a moral and ethical problem that the church needs to deal with. Like, why are they asking so much of people that that is happening continuously? Do you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. not on the person it happens to. Yeah. It's on like sort of the capital C American church. And particularly, I would say Protestant and probably sort of some strand of evangelicalism is like where it particularly happens the most. Yes. You don't hear about, you know, Presbyterian. Right. Right. Pastors. Like my grandpa's most recent wife. She's a Lutheran pastor and she's in her 80s. There's something about those expectations for them that feel a little more sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's unpack this a little bit. Why were you intrigued by it? Okay. Um, Should we... Are we going to read this or are we going to just talk about it? (sighs) I don't know. Do you think it would be palatable to listen to? Um, I think I could break out a chunk of it why don't we start reading it alternate like you read one i read one see how it goes okay start with the beat first one so here's what steve besner says yeah in a multiple post twitter three <laughs> do you, yeah that very first one up later than normal yeah you start there okay so he says up later than normal for me on a saturday night but just now having a chance to put down a few thoughts about why evangelicalism has a habit of producing leaders who flame out a few ideas one Success is celebrated more than faithfulness, and success is almost always measured by the size of the gathering. Two, speed is celebrated more than patience. In other words, a church that blows up overnight will gain more notoriety than a church that grows a substantial ministry over years, decades, or even generations. Three, youth is celebrated more than age. We want to believe that there are God-ordained leaders who are going to bring in the next wave of faith into the up-and-coming generation. Four, we reward giftedness before we cultivate character. I have seen too many young leaders thrust into the spotlight, receiving attention and authority before they were emotionally ready. Five, 
We don't have the structures built into our culture for accountability. When someone strays away, we often extend grace instead of leaning into the conflict and confronting what needs to be exposed. Six, emotional health isn't usually emphasized in training or in professional development. Consequently, we often end up unintentionally perpetuating unhealthy mindsets slash emotional responses within the church. Seven, charisma and confidence are almost always allowed to gloss over character flaws because our model works best when charismatic and confident individual is placed in front of the room. If not held accountable, the cycle can quickly and harmfully perpetrate itself. Number eight, and this is the last sort of point, but there's more in the thread. But I found it very, I thought it was this one was particularly interesting. Number eight, economics are a reality. No one likes to talk about this, but it is true. We can sometimes gloss over a character with a charismatic leader because he or she puts butts in the seats and that translates into dollars. I did also think it was mentioning, I'm trying to scan down real quickly and find this though, yeah. where he talks about, oh, here it is. So he makes a bunch of basically comments unpacking this. He scrolled on and he said, and you need context, but in herein lies the problem. Much of evangelicalism is founded on the theological principle known as priesthood of the believer. It's the idea that everyone is filled with the spirit. Everyone is a minister, but it's not what we package, sell, or embody, which for me, I think is going to be a, a big part of the, the conversation. conversation. Yeah. So, okay. There's that. Yeah, so Thank you, about, Steve Besner. Yeah. For a great so he's thread. talking about how these, you know, those eight things are problems. Uh-huh. And then about how like, but especially we don't hold people accountable because of this economic piece, sometimes mm-hmm. like we are nervous or afraid that if we sideline somebody, we'll have a loss of energy, we'll have a loss of money. Which, just to say something I appreciate about this, I think if somebody tries to make this statement without acknowledging that, they're naive. Because that I is agree. a very real concern. But I feel like it often doesn't come up. Yeah. But it is like, it is, a th- I mean, and also when people have conversations... It just comes up always very last. Do you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it is like you can't have a church. Not that you can't, but like churches require money because of the expectations that people have of what they're going to get from a church. Yeah. And so then, yes, he says that thing about the priesthood of every believer. And the next thing he says is we cast the vision that the person on the stage is different, special, separate. And sometimes the person on the stage begins to believe it. And when they do, and when we treat him or her as if they are, we set ourselves up for the inevitable fall. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I read that and I brought it to you and I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about it as pastors. And I would, and I talked some about our sort of atmosphere at UBC. Um, I want to talk some about that. But what are your first thoughts? Um... My first thoughts. Or well, what do you want to talk about? I, I think the thing that I, and it's the thing I read is about, okay, but why does this happen? And for me, it's because we don't really lean into the priesthood of our of the believer and we don't really um, take seriously that the parishioner is as crucial in a healthy ecclesiology um, as the pastor is. I think yeah. that's a way to say that, that I wouldn't backtrack on. Yeah. Uh, because there are differences, like, right, pastors are sent to seminary, not everybody is. Right. Um, but I think one way I've reflected this, and it was just very recently, is I said to our HR team mm-hmm. that I wanted, or was it leadership team? I wanted the youth pastors referred to as pastors and not ministers. Yeah, it was leadership team. Because of what pastors are, and they're, they're in a sense, 
more pastor to those high school kids than I am. Right. Right? Yeah. So it doesn't do good to stamp the linguistic reality with a implied hierarchy because it's theologically unhelpful and it promotes something that is not helpful. Yeah. If we were to refer to Kieran and Hannah as Minister not and, as like leader as yeah. opposed to pastor. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it's technical. Like I, I looked at so many Baptist websites and there's always pastor and minister, but a lot of times it's because of gender. It's not because of training or qualification. Yeah. Sometimes it has to do with ordination and not that, but sure. Yeah. Which at least to me that there's a real reason and it's not a reason about subjective merit. It's about, well, a, it is an ecclesiological, ecclesiological thing at that point. I think it's yeah. like a community saying, right. This is what it means to be this thing. And it right. includes this or certification in, or in my sick space. As long as that's consistent, I think that's fine. As I long agree. As it's applied consistently. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not always applied consistently, no. particularly across gender lines. Yes, that's true, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, why were you drawn to it? I mean, obviously, other than it, it's very healthy and it's written really well. Yeah. Um, I think I was drawn to it. I think the thing that really got me is the thing you said, um, the thing that also stuck out to you, like the priesthood of every believer thing and... And because it reminds me a lot of like sort of what I think of when I think of our language about uh, around like there not being some a difference between you know the sacred and the secular and like just because someone's job isn't necessarily working at a church does not mean that they are not a minister you know like mm-hmm. I believe so deeply I'm so Baptist in a lot of ways you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe so deeply in the idea of the priesthood of um, all believers. And, you know, I think there's uh, a particularly Baptist way that that phrase has been turned um, that maybe when it was originally created had more to do with the community. And I, and so, but I, well, I feel like I'm getting rambly. Um, but I think that was the first thing that drew me to it. Because I think of like Mr. Rogers Sunday and like us sort of when we send out all of our people all of our college students that we tell them that like the work they are doing is sacred and important and holy and so well i think what maybe this boils down to and i don't think it's the thrust of what he was getting at but at least for pastors looking at this is how much do you really let your pastor if you're a parishioner somewhere be a part of your lives and mm-hmm. and not not may that's work. how how much do they get to be on your level of life i guess is how far into your world do they get to inhabit honestly yeah so i can i think i have a salient way to express this and also a question for you okay so a few months ago in the newsletter uh-huh. i wrote about this and i said hey if you go look at job descriptions for pastors and they're kind of lock stock copied and pasted and mm-hmm. you know use the stock language there will be something that says we expect our pastor to be according to and they're going to quote like three verses they're almost all from the pastoral epistles and it's about the pastor being this elevated moral figure yeah. okay above reproach above reproach that's the big word yeah. but that sort of thing yeah and it's from the bible so if you want to say biblical precedent it's well, there sure yeah right mm-hmm. um the point of my newsletter was to acknowledge that but to say like i had met with one of our social work professors that worships at a church mm-hmm. who 
herself was on a year of sobriety uh-huh. and was considering whether or not I drank too much. And then the point of the newsletter was to say, never in it never dawned on me that a this might be risky for me to have that conversation with her, or b that I can't write about this in the newsletter and tell it to everybody, mm-hmm. because my expectation is that. Um, that will be well received and celebrated that that vulnerability would be Mm -hmm. and that if there is a real problem this is my way out of it is getting to be honest about it yeah okay i think that's true and i think vulnerability and accountability is a a, a astounding tool for healing in anybody's Uh life my question is though there are certain sins that if i did the algebra and substituted that it wouldn't be okay sure and how do we draw those lines and who gets to decide that Yes. So this is, yeah. So this is what we didn't talk very much about this at all before we got started because, well, generally we like to have, have these conversations out on the airwaves as it were. And, um, so I do think one of the things that I, um, but one of the things I briefly mentioned was our, our sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can only think of vibe. (laughs) That's not really serious enough for what we're talking about but our um atmosphere at ubc and how i do think in particular as you just named that like there are a lot of things we get to say and do that i think people at other churches don't necessarily get to say and do which is so interesting because i will sometimes hear people who go to ubc describe it as a gift to them that we are so authentic and vulnerable, mm-hmm. but I, it always feels like a gift to me that I get to be that way. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and I, I would like to think that the line for us anyways would be, um, someone else. Do you know what I mean? So if, for example, if I was married mm-hmm. and I, I found myself in sexual sin, I was having an affair mm-hmm. and I, that's, I would call that sexual sin. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, I would, I mean, first I would come to you guys to talk about that after, mm-hmm. you know, my husband or whatever was new and, you know, we'd talked it all out or whatever. And then I do think it was, it's not the same as if um, I, you know, I guess to use your example, if it was like I was concerned I was drinking too much because there's another person. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm not just abusing myself. I'm abusing someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a very helpful line to draw. Yeah. Um, so then I had a follow-up question, which was, and so that's me saying, I agree with what you just said. And I think that's the place I would get to is if somebody else is a casualty of my violence, I'm using violence very broadly. Sure. Um, then that's where you may have to draw that line and say, but, um, I do also think though, there are smaller mistakes where there is violence done to another person Mm -hmm. that do happen and we get to recover from. Because of the, also the vulnerability, though. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like I've made mistakes in preaching where I've had to go and repent and talk to people about it. And nobody was calling for my job when it was done, but there was real hurt yeah. there. And real conversations that had to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe again, though, there that's there's like an intent thing there. It's like a, if you don't intend to hurt somebody versus you trying to hurt somebody. Yes, I do think lately we have had conversations particularly around race and things like that as Mm -hmm. they are pertinent to our congregation and our country and our all of our lives and um yes where people have been very kind and thoughtful to come forward and say like hey this thing that was said from the stage by one of us could have been better this way yeah could have been better and 
And I think people have been mad and people have expressed that. And I, I, yeah, I think it always amazes me how it's crazy, Josh. I mean, you really get up there and you're like, I said this and it hurt someone and that was bad. And I think that's like, that takes a lot from you. Um, but also it takes, like, it's, I'm um, always amazed by like the bravery and courage and kindness and grace of our people to come forward and say like, hey, this thing hurt me, you mm -hmm. know, because a lot of people don't. There well, are a lot of places where people wouldn't come forward and say that. And I think one of the cultural things that I've learned is important is the apology is important because of just the way reconciliation works. Right. But the public apology is also always important because it communicates to everybody. It, it reminds everybody of the kind of culture we're trying to foster. Yeah. And so that communicates, hey, if you do have an objection, it will be taken seriously. Yeah. And um, we're going to take it to heart. Yeah. Now, I will also say there have been times where I have an email sitting in my inbox right now. And it was very kind. I mean, it wasn't. And they ended up by saying, I don't, you don't have to reply. Sure. But there's a pretty stout theological difference. Um, and I just think we're going to end up just disagreeing. Uh -huh. But even that will be done with respect on both ends. Yeah. Um, so I, all this say doesn't always end in us apologizing. Um, mm -hmm. Now, uh, the other thing I was going to ask, though, is this. Okay. Um, so it seems to me that you could have several different responses based on something like this. The first would be to lean harder into elevating the person and say, no, we're just going to work really hard to say, make sure our pastors are accountable. Okay. Um, the second would be to say, and everybody else, if they're going to be a part of this community is going to get pulled up to that level. And we're going to bring that expectation for everybody. Uh -huh. Or the third would be to kind of lower the expectations for the pastor and put them among the people that way. Mm -hmm. Which I think if you were going to say point to UBC and say one of them, I think that's what we've done of those three options. So mm -hmm. we've given people permission to be human, our pastors. Yeah. Um, my question is, though, so it seems to me that the, the, this gets more and more power. And you pointed to the economic thing, which I think is a very real thing. Yeah. But the less that the pastor, and I'm using air quotes there, has power be it economic or otherwise or is dependent upon a system the less devastating this seems to be so here's here's my point um do you know hope fellowship in town sort of. it's a mennonite community they oh, yeah, have yeah, yeah. they have three pastors who rotate they're not always the same uh -huh. um one of them is my good friend fernando uh -huh. um i don't think they're paid okay. they're not always the primary Preachers are worship leaders. They're kind of primary shepherds, okay. both the shepherding the worshiping moment and the community itself. Uh -huh. And again, those can rotate. Uh -huh. um, I would think that if one of those three pastors were in some kind of scandal, it would not be as near as devastating to that community yeah. as it would to even ours, where I think we have a pretty healthy yeah. or certainly not one of the big churches in town where right. pastor is celebrity. Yeah. So... And I think there's a direct relationship between how much power the pastor has, either implicitly or explicitly, mm -hmm. and um, how big the, the failure can be. So my point is, sure. like, if you have a house church at play, yeah, this really isn't a threat at all. Right? 
Because the pastor, in every sense, is just another member of the community. You know, this is interesting, and I think probably a place where we can disagree, but... Um... I'm not advocating that's what we should do. I'm just trying to... Oh, dr- no, I don't hear you advocating okay. for anything. Um, just sort of... It seems... I feel that relationship is at play. Do you disagree? If so, why? I think you're right in that the, the expectations get lowered. Do you know what I mean? Um but it's like, I remember going to church and there were guys who, men, because of my context, really strictly men, um, deacons and stuff like that, do you know what I mean? Who They were not the pastor, but everybody thought of them as like this, on this sort of higher plane or whatever. Um, I was going to give an example. Well, it would be like, you know, um, the Burt Burlesons of the world, but if Burt didn't have any official titles, but Burt does have okay, so like titles. the the Gandalf figure. Yes, yes, exactly. Like all the wisdom and just like they seem like solid guys, solid people. They are, you know, always seem to be above reproach, but they don't have any official. I mean, a deacon is like you know you have t- a title or whatever, but um, and then occasionally one of those people would be found, you know, to have made a mistake, which is a thing that humans do, and. Um, there would be sort of circles of reaction. Like, I just think, I do think we have a pretty healthy thing going on at UBC, and I still think that if one of us, if something happened, people would say, like, this is um, a normal thing that happens to humans. But if it was, like, um, I don't know. If it, so, you know one of us was found to be doing something very, very bad, I think that it would still shock the community. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I do think it's probably like the level of what would have been going on has to be higher. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think if somebody gets found to be doing something sort of minimal or said one thing kind of out of bounds, that that is devastating for a community at a place where a pastor is like a celebrity figure type thing but i still think even in a house church you have those dynamics at play mm-hmm. like the title holds power no matter what group well of i people. yeah i think they could certainly still be an abuser because of the power dynamics at play or whatever the thing is yeah i just don't think that's going to be in the news like oh the, in the news yeah sorry maybe i misunderstood what you're saying. no you didn't misunderstand oh, okay. i think you know a very simple literal well, it's not literal because it's a metaphor, but um, explanation would be what I'm trying to say. The, the higher the platform, the bigger the fall. Sure. And in a house church, the platform is almost non-existent. Well, the community is smaller, right? Do you know what I mean? So it's like the reach is smaller because the community. I mean, if you have a house church of 10 people, that's yeah. just 10 people. But I mean, maybe we're talking the one versus the 99. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. maybe it's more devastating to those 10 people. Yeah than it is to some some you know at a community where it's like 10,000 people but i guess i think my my suggestion though is in consonance with the threat itself because it's talking about evangelical pastors who burn out at these big churches mm-hmm. and i think that the house church may not protect them from being flamed out for exhaustion reasons mm-hmm. but they're probably not going to have like an egomaniac fall because sure um, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking too because that they have more people holding them accountable. Yeah, and they're just the the relational value of the ecclesiology is such that 
they're so much among and with the people that a those mistakes are probably going to be much more visible and the accountability thing this guy's talking about can be at play yeah but also even if this person's just obstinate when confronted i mean removing them doesn't seem devastating because the economic thing's not at play and all these other things he said about status is not at play either yeah yeah um I had another thought, and then I lost it. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I run this tension all the time in, in myself because in, in the, the person who embodied this, I think more than anybody, was Stanley Harloss. Mm. In his memoir, Hannah's, uh, Hannah's Child, he talks a lot about basically theologically being a Mennonite, mm-hmm. but he moved out of Methodism into Episcopalian life because he spent time at Notre Dame and fell in love with Catholicism and the communion and all the liturgy and rituals. And I do think that's the advantage of, and this is off topic a little bit because he's talking about evangelical churches, but more generally ecclesiastical power Uh can make for some really glamorous and beautiful things. Like the thing I always talk about is the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. wouldn't exist without tons of money in the Episcopalian church. Right. And I think it's almost intoxicating to think about like a Christmas service in there where mm-hmm. I got to take yeah. part in a mass with all the bells and whistles. And that can't happen in a Mennonite setting because they'll never organize that way and have that kind of money. Right. But I also, in my day-to-day life, much more value the community and the relationality of something like the Mennonite model, which I think we're much closer to in the free church tradition as Baptists. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I do value what could be the best of both things. One seems more biblical to me, but um, that's a conversation for a different day. Yeah. Um. And I will say this. If I was in a phase of, so I talked about the Episcopal Church and the National Cathedral. Like there are still some worship music that's done by certain sects of evangelicalism Uh that I just think is breathtaking and beautiful Mm. and wouldn't be done without resources. Sure. Yeah, couldn't be done without it. Um, so to reach her like a, a different metaphor in that same world of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think I'm trying to think about. Yeah, but. Evangel- the evangelical pastorate is like so much power centered in one place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and to be fair, the Episcopalian Church, I think their ecclesiology, it's probably, you could probably come up with a more nuanced word too, like their polity within their denominations protects them in a way that evangelicalism doesn't, doesn't have. because it, it doesn't have a polity. Yeah. No. Well, e- each place has a polity, but like. It does not have a collective polity. And that polity isn't really enforced usually. No. <laughs> which we just saw with, I read a long article this morning about Ravi Zacharias, which mm-hmm. wasn't a church, but it's an evangelical institution. Yeah. Where you had a board of directors, mostly male, who, you know, did not, it's not that just desire to protect their hero, it's didn't follow the protocol they had in place. Right. Um, and that's right. A, well, because I think, yeah. So many free church places, it's like actually following your polity is a decision every time. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to make that choice mm-hmm. every time. And if you're not committed, it's very, I mean, it's very Hauerwasian. Like essentially it's like they have, we, I'll say we because we are also free church. We have polities in place, but it is, 
deciding your sexual ethic in the backseat of the car every time, which is like not yeah. the thing that you should be doing, you know? Yeah. Because there's nobody to make sure that you're following your polity. Right. Yeah. Which in a lot of ways, again, though, is the beauty of it, that it's right. like... We are trusting people to be the ministers that we believe all of them to be. And because I, I'm picking a lot on denominations, but I do think an advantage that the free church has over the high church is it is much more relational and intimate. And people yeah. are way further in each other's lives. And so the real opportunity for that kind of accountability to happen yeah. is there. Now, that's not, it won't work as a broad sweeping statement. There's some pretty stale free church environments sure. and there are some pretty intimate high church environments of course yeah. but i would say they're both the exception as opposed to the rule right but I, it's interesting also now i'm thinking about my my governmental choices and it's like one of the reason that i feel pulled towards um liberal policies is because i <laughs> Uh, well, because I don't think everyone in the world has to be a Christian. Like, we all get to make our own choices. And so I believe in liberal policies that have to do with helping people and making sure resources are widely available to everyone. And I don't believe that people will do that on their own, which is like a sort of a thing that conservatives believe, is that the mm. government shouldn't have their hands in that because it um, because people should be able to make those choices on their own, whereas I sort of believe more in the idea that those things should be regulated and legislated because I don't believe everyone will make those choices on their own. So am I understanding your analogy the right way? Wouldn't the the big church or the big government Democrat be analogous to the high church? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I'm saying there's, it's, oh, okay, I'm, I see I'm just thinking about that sort of tension there yeah. because then when it comes to church, like I said, I am like so uh, such a committed Baptist thinker. Well, and it's like it's with anything you can't apply the principle consistently across because you could also argue that like conservative folks do want big government and moral social issues. Yeah, yeah, I do think that's some of it. It's like so I don't think I don't think uh, I think people have their own free will. They get to make their own choices, and because of that, I think that sometimes people will make bad choices or mean choices or unkind choices but in my church in church i believe like we've all committed to one thing yeah. do you know what i mean so yeah. well if we're going to push the analogy the ultimate free churcher would be the libertarian right because yeah. they're like no government anywhere don't tell me fiscally don't tell me socially don't tell me anything yeah so so that's interesting we should probably stop <laughs> yeah i think that's as far as we need to go there anyways i did have some questions about um you know, the idea of the priesthood of every believer and, you know, some of what we've already spoken about, which is that people at UBC certainly feel, um, well, I don't know if they feel free to, but they, you know, summon up their courage and they do speak to us when we've made mistakes and how we try to listen to those things and, you know, sort of make them ap applicable as far as we can as UBC goes. And I wondered where, like, has UBC always been that way since you've been there, or, I mean, even at, you know, even as a parishioner or whatever? Um, or? I do think, yes, the ethos has always been there. Okay. And that Kyle, I, I'll give Kyle a lot of credit. I only got to hear him preach for a year, but I feel like Kyle was pretty vulnerable in his preaching and that 
he put himself in the sermon in an unflattering way from time to time, mm-hmm. which that's a way to create culture. Yeah. Um, I also think, though, that what was at stake when I first started coming to UC was so different. And by that, I mean it was a theologically progressive place with an evangelicalism. Yeah. Outside of evangelicalism, we really weren't conversant. So, for example, open theism was kind of an edgy position to have. Okay. Whereas now, I mean, nobody would care what I thought about that. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, people would, but those are the people who would never set foot in the church anyways. <laughs> sure. I mean, our people might care about it, but mostly in like a question conversation. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, as a as a moral benchmark, though. Yeah. No, right. Yeah. They would not care. Right. Um, And so maybe what has developed in my time there is the kind of consciousness of I may need humility and help and rebuke about these other very human issues that we've not really acknowledged as white evangelicals for so many years. Right. And that isn't just been like a good thing. I think it's been necessary since we're all mostly white. Yeah. Well, we all are all white. Certainly. Well, on staff, we're all white. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. And to my knowledge, we're all straight. Yep. Well, and that maybe too, because like I said, I have this email in my inbox right now where I disagree, but it would fall within that theological world. And maybe I do need more humility there, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but that's just like those things don't seem to matter to me in the same way that they used to matter to me. Yeah. And so maybe that's it too. It's like, I feel less inclined to apologize, not even because I don't have an ego, but just like I don't care any which way. Right. You know what I mean? Well, you feel you feel that it's okay to disagree with that person. Yeah. Or let's like if somebody disagrees on Trinity, that's pretty foundational for me. Sure. But like that's just not personal and offensive in a way that, yeah. you know, race can be. Yeah. Well, which comes to, yeah, what we sort of have talked a lot about through fall is like, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you about... We can't agree to disagree about racism. Like, and I'm also not going to... There's not a middle ground. Do you know what I mean? Like, racism is racism. And mm-hmm. we might have conversations about, like... Or we listen and we say, like, oh, I didn't understand this thing or whatever, but... I'll say, too, um, I've written about this in the newsletter, and I'm going to add a, a caveat, um, is I cited the letterman apology after he was blackmailed for cheating with his one of his aides mm-hmm. um as a really formative moment for me uh-huh. and now retrospectively it's stamped problematically and because i mean it was it would now be considered a me too moment because of the power dynamic mm-hmm. even though the the woman involved never would articulate what happened that way mm-hmm. that was still at play um well she might now that's true you know, there were things that I, not things that happened to me, but things I witnessed or whatever that I thought like, oh. Also, it's complicated because her boyfriend was the one who blackmailed Letterman. Mm-hmm. So sure. that was at play too. So anyways, all that to say though, what I do think was unique in the moment, and the reason it struck me is because he came, it, we came out on a Friday, there was the weekend, on Monday he just, um, he came out and said, here's what you've heard, it's all true. And then he went on to apologize in a way that he can with his nuance for five minutes. Now, somebody else has also pointed out to me um, 
since then that was a person who was a recipient of the grief of an affair mm-hmm. that the apology be, it was also problematic for reasons that mm. um, which i noted that that being said um again just in its moment it was rare no everybody else had tried to deny the problems at the time so okay. performance enhancing drug Athletes were doing it. I mean, everybody, nobody had just come out and said, yes, I'm guilty. Yeah. And the thing I noted too in the media is that the story was over in a day. Yeah. Because of what he did. Yeah. So I think for me, I also just thought if I ever have the chance, I want that to be part of what I do. And I think if you're willing to do it with smaller things, then if you get to a bigger thing, it's also easier. Yeah. Sure. It's like anything else. You can't, you know, bench press 200 pounds if you don't bench press 190 at some point Mm -hmm. or 50 at some point you know Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah i think that's interesting to think about well i talked a lot today yeah i feel like we maybe talk pretty equally okay but then i think about all those studies yeah. <laughs> they say that like when it seems equal it's probably a woman talking like 30% of the time well that's unfortunately true <laughs> it's okay you're my friend well thank you for being generous of course We're at that was fun to talk about yeah thanks for bringing that up and I didn't expect it would be so um, life giving for us to reflect or at least that's the way I felt So yeah, same. thank you listeners yeah, uh, for, for tuning in to us. another edition of it was either this or yeah